Chapter 51 Good King Wenceslas Gertrude took a long walk around the center of town. She would say that she did this to help her forget the night before and to cleanse both her body and soul. But I think even she knew there was more to it than that. The reasons, though, didn't matter. The only thing that did was that the early spring air seemed fresher than it had the day before, and that every building seemed more beautiful than normal. Eventually, she found herself at the foot of Wenceslas Square, and she absentmindedly made her way toward the top while recalling all the walks she and her husband had taken on it. Just about every night they did this, where they would discuss the day's happenings. No matter how busy he was, he would carve out an hour for it. Often it was late at night, but he always made time for it and for her, even when the Wehrmacht was massing on the border. Only now did Gertrude realize how spoiled her husband had left her. No man she had met since was like Arthur, though she would say Hermann shared some of his better qualities, such as his intelligence and strength of character and his reverence of women. She had come to discover that Hermann was even more interesting than she had found him outside Cherning Palace, and she lamented at how she'd never see him again. Without realizing it, Gertrude found herself at the top of the square. She was now facing the statue of the man the square had been named after, who continues to sit there on his galloping horse. At this moment, it struck her at how the man, who we in the English-speaking world know as Good King Wenceslas, looked a lot more like Don Quixote than the patron saint of the Czechs. This caused her to giggle and to wonder if this had been what Misselbeck had intended when he sculpted the statue during the course of the many years he labored over it. I think Gertrude saw a lot of herself in both the star-crossed monarch and the starry-eyed knight-errant, and perhaps this was why she giggled some more. But she didn't do this for long. Knowing that she had a lot to do that day, she hurried down the square to her home, where she found a note comp she had left her which indicated that the woman had gone food shopping. Gertrude responded by penning her own note for Kamcha. This took a long time, as she had to forgive the woman for all the spying she had been doing since in her employ, and she needed this to come across sincerely for both their sakes. But Gertrude never got the chance to finish the note, as she heard a loud vehicle come to a sharp stop outside. This sent her scurrying to a window, where she saw a trio of Nazi soldiers rushing into her building. This was not a big surprise to her, so after she grabbed her coat and purse and placed in the latter an old jewelry box that her mother had given her long ago, she calmly made her way into the bedroom and through a window. She further climbed to the third floor of the building and to a window there that had been left ajar for this purpose. This she fully opened, and she entered the room, and she hurried to the front door of the unit, where she listened to the soldiers as they banged on the door below. They banged on it for about a minute before they broke through and marched inside. At this second, Gertrude whisked off her shoes. While carrying these, she quietly swung open the door and scurried down the stairs and out her building. Here she put her shoes back on, and she jumped into a car and drove to Narodny where she stopped in front of the Pollitz Dunai while noticing that Tunda's car was gone. Gertrude well knew that she had to leave and do so at once, but she had something a little more important to do. 
This letter inside the boarding house, where she saw something that did surprise her. She saw Clara sitting by the window, staring out of it much like she had the day before. What surprised her was that the woman was smiling. Clara, Gertrude gasped. Clara didn't respond, but she didn't stop smiling either. So Gertrude came up to her and sat on the armrest of her easy chair, and she smiled too. Is there a reason why you're smiling, Gertrude asked, even though she knew what it was, as more than once she had seen this smile in her own face. Clara shrugged. It starts that way, you know, Gertrude went on. What does, Clara softly asked. Gertrude answered, You think to yourself that all is lost and that you'll never be the same again. But then one day you smile without even realizing it. And this is how it starts. What, Clara uttered. The road home, Gertrude told her. It's a long journey, but it has to start somewhere. I still relive what happened to me every day, Clara maintained while shaking her head. Believe it or not, Gertrude maintained back, so do I. But instead of it horrifying me, it now motivates me. Everything I do, including helping you, comes from the hate that I've turned on its head. I don't think I could ever do that, Clara mumbled while shaking her head. Or even begin to. I'm not as strong as you. That's what I used to think about myself, Gertrude remarked. I thought it right up until I saw, in the light that had been shined upon me, that I was a lot stronger than I thought. This moment will come for you, too. I just know it. Right then, Gertrude hugged Clara, and she kissed her cheek, and it didn't matter to her at all that the affection wasn't reciprocated. She knew this would come sometime in the future when Clara would turn the light given to her upon someone else. For now, Gertrude would take comfort in Clara's smile as she scampered out of the house, where she noticed that Tunda's car was still not in front of his building. With her own smile, Gertrude jumped into her own car, and she sped off, not even caring where she was going.